Well, good morning. If you are new to Faith Bible Church, I'm Pastor Steve, and it's my privilege to be able to open up God's Word and look at it with you today. We are in a study in the Old Testament book of Daniel, and encourage you to navigate your way there to the book of Daniel. And we today will be in the fourth chapter. Daniel is a prophet. He served as God's mouthpiece to the people, specifically the people of the southern tribes of Israel who were taken captive by the Babylonians. Daniel's ministry would have started at age 16 in 605 BC and stretched almost uh, till he was 85 years old, roughly about 535, 536 BC. And throughout this record in the book of Daniel, we find God magnifying himself, highlighting himself through his people as God directs the events of history toward the day when the sun will sit on David's throne over God's kingdom forever and ever. And in chapter 1, Chapter 2, chapter 3, each of those chapters, we come across this king, this Babylonian king named Nebuchadnezzar. And one of the things that we see about Nebuchadnezzar is he's got a lot of pride. In fact, there are places in those chapters where he sets himself above all gods. And in his pride and in his self-sufficiency, we will see God disciplining him, humbling him. And the same thing that's true of Nebuchadnezzar can be true of us. That when life gets comfortable, there's a real tendency on our part To stop depending on God. To stop recognizing him. To stop seeking him. And just as is true in Nebuchadnezzar's life. Can be true in our lives. That God will get our attention. I'm going to read this chapter in its entirety. It's long but it's important for us to hear the word of God. And so I'm going to read it in its entirety. You can follow Along in your copy of the Bible, Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar, the king to all the people's nations and men of every language that live in all the earth. May your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the most high God has done for me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream and it made me fearful. And these fantasies as I lay on my bed and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. So I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon that they may make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners came in and I related the dream to them, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. 
But finally Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I related the dream to him, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, since I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery baffles you, tell me the vision of my dreams which I have seen, along with this interpretation." Now these were the visions in my mind as I lay in my bed. I was looking and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew large and became strong and its height reached to the sky and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant and it was food for all. The bees of the field found shade under it. The birds of the sky dwelt in its branches and all the living creatures fed themselves from it. As I was looking on the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed, and behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven. He shouted out and spoke as follows, chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip off its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches, yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it. In the new grass of the field. And let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. And let him share with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man. And let a beast mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers. And the decision is a command of the holy ones. In order that the living may know. That the most high is ruler over the realm of mankind. And bestow it on who? he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men this is the dream which I King Nebuchadnezzar have seen now you Belteshazzar tell me its interpretation inasmuch as none of the wise men of my kingdom is able to make known to me the interpretation but you are able for a spirit of the holy gods is in you then Daniel whose name is Belteshazzar was appalled for a while as his thoughts alarmed him The king responded and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar replied, my lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. The tree, the tree that you saw, which became large and grew strong, whose height reached to the sky and was visible to all the earth, and whose foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant in who, in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt and whose branches the birds of the sky lodge. It's you, O king. For you have become great and grown strong and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky in your dominion to the end of the earth in that the king saw the angelic watcher, a holy one, descending from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field and let them be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beasts of the field until the seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree of the most high which has come upon my lord the king that you be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place be with the beasts of the field and you be given grass to eat like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the most high is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes 
And in that it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree. Your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it's heaven that rules. Therefore, O my king, take my advice if it be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness. And from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. In case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking in the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power for the glory of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it's declared... Sovereignty has been removed from you and you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and the nails like bird's claws. But at the end of the period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? At that time, my reason returned to me. My majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. And my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished and my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exult, and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are true and his ways just. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. And one of the things we see in the life of Nebuchadnezzar, we are prone to as well. And that is when we become comfortable, we stop depending on God. And in Nebuchadnezzar's life, as his wealth grew, as his power grew... He became self-sufficient and not God-dependent. And so God humbles Nebuchadnezzar. A couple of years ago, the guy across the road from us decided to start raising chickens. And we don't live in any city limits, so there's not really a limit on how many chickens he could have. And he got quite a few. One morning, I heard this kind of timid, tepid, weak crowing. And I thought, oh, there was a rooster amongst those chicks. Now, he was a young rooster. He didn't quite have confidence. But I'm sure if he would have been 
able to grow to an older age, he would have been a pretty proud rooster because most roosters are. My grandpa on the farm in Adair County, Iowa, loved having a rooster. My grandmother felt differently about it. And I still can hear her voice. Howard, if that rooster of yours attacks me one more time, that's going to be the end of that rooster. And grandpa would grin and not say anything and just go on with life. One day I was in the pickup with my grandpa and we came around the corner of the yard toward the machine shed. And there, hanging upside down on the clothesline, was a headless rooster. My grandma had gone down to the hen house to get eggs and that rooster attacked her one too many times. And she took a two by four and she just nailed that rooster in the head. Now, that was a gruesome end to a very proud rooster. But sometimes, those of us who are God's people, as life becomes more comfortable, and we start feeling more self-sufficient than God-dependent, God has to use a two-before on us. And that's what he does with Nebuchadnezzar. He uses a two-before to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention. To remind Nebuchadnezzar he's not really the one who's ruling. That there's one higher than he to whom we owe our allegiance. And so from Nebuchadnezzar's life, we hope to be reminded in our lives of the dangers of comfort and being self-sustaining or the appearance thereof. As the chapter opens, we see that truth that wealth and power lead to self-sufficient pride. And that's what happens to the Nebuchadnezzar. When we come to chapter 4, probably about 30 years have passed since the events of chapter 3 that we looked at last week with Daniel's free three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were thrown into that fiery furnace, most likely 30 years have passed. And we know that because of verse 30. In verse 30 we read, the king reflected and said, is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power for the glory of my majesty? So in the early chapters of the book, it's early in Nebuchadnezzar's reign. He's still conquering. He's still gathering peoples underneath the umbrella of Babylon. But now everything's built. His royal palace is built. He's standing out gazing over his accomplishments. And most Bible teachers think that probably about 30 years have passed since the events of chapter 3 until we come to chapter 4. And the chapter opens by Nebuchadnezzar giving praise to the one true God. He says in verse 3, how great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. Only to see in the few verses right after this that he worships many gods. In fact, he, uh, we read in verse 8 that Belteshazzar is according to the name of my God, lower G. 
And in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And he says that again in verse 9. You see, ultimately for Nebuchadnezzar, he recognized that Daniel had a powerful God. But he believes in his gods. And ultimately, he puts himself in a position above his gods. And as the chapter opens, we see the same thing happening with Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4 that happened in chapter 2. That he's having this dream that's scary. In fact, we read in verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. Things are great. His conquering is done. He's got affluence, he's got wealth, there's peace in the land. He's enjoying life and living large, except, verse 5, I saw a dream and it made me fearful. In fact, the end of the verse says that kept alarming him. And so he did what he did in chapter 2. He called for all these occult members across the land, these conjurers and interpreters of dreams and sorcerers and add all these wise people come and share the dream with them and not one of them could tell Nebuchadnezzar what it meant. Only until we come to verse 8 when we read, but finally Daniel came in before me. Most likely at this point, Daniel has risen to a point of such power in the kingdom that he was not called upon at first to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. But since nobody could help the king, Daniel was called in. And Daniel hears the dream and is going to interpret it. Now the dream starts out positive. And Nebuchadnezzar shares the dream starting in verse 10. He says... There's this huge tree and it's in this lush pasture of green. And the tree has great expanse and width and it's got beautiful foliage and it's full of fruit. And there's all kinds of livestock underneath it. In fact, all uh, of life is underneath the tree and it's enjoying the food that it provides and the shelter. And even the birds of the air are enjoying the tree. Oh, what a wonderful picture. And Daniel's supposed to interpret that dream, except Daniel's heard the entire dream. And in verse 19, it tells us he was appalled for a while as his thoughts alarmed him. The king says, hey, Belteshazzar, that's Daniel's Babylonian name, don't be afraid to tell me what the dream means. Do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. And Daniel says back to him, I wish this was about somebody else. I wish this dream was about one of your enemies. And he goes on and tells him the good part of the dream. That this luscious tree that's providing shelter and food for all living creatures. It's you, Nebuchadnezzar. You've grown to great affluence and your kingdom has a vast expanse. It's you, Nebuchadnezzar. You see, at this point, Nebuchadnezzar's wealth and his power are immense. But with the ease of his life, remember verse 4? 
I was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. With that ease and that flourishing came a self-sufficient pride. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about the dangers of ease in the New Testament. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, we read this. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. You know, I used to read that verse and think it was about somebody else until I spent a month in India. And then I realized that that verse is about me and it's about you. We are the wealthy of the world. And Paul is not condemning wealth. He's saying don't fix our hope in it. Don't have our worth in it to get conceited about what we have. It's all from the Lord. It's not because of us. And here we find Nebuchadnezzar comfortable at ease and in danger. You know, it's a dangerous thing For us to have life be, quote unquote, good. Because when everything is good, we tend to start becoming self-dependent instead of God-dependent. We tend to start being ruled by self-sufficiency. And Paul, in the New Testament, and here from Daniel, we see this challenge as God's people to beware of self-sufficiency. That it's important for us to ask the Spirit of God to reveal to us if we are becoming more self-sufficient than God-sufficient. And one sign of that is when we stop talking to God and when we stop being aware of sin in our lives. It's August. I always think when August 1st hits, we might as well say goodbye to summer. And all those fun things that we get to do in the summertime. I'm guessing some of us have been out camping this summer. Do you know that sleeping in a tent can change your worldview? It can't. You ever been in a storm, in a tent? I have. And when you are in a storm, in a tent, you view the world in a very different way. All of a sudden, when that storm has arisen, you start thinking about those trees above you and wondering, I wonder if those branches on those trees are secure. I wonder what the root system is in this tree right next to me. I wonder if that lightning is going to come down like it came through the cottonwoods at my grandpa's farm and killed eight cows one afternoon. 
I'm wondering if the sides of this tent are going to be uprooted from their mooring and I'm going to get drenched. You know, I think it might be a good time to pray. And yet, when you get home and you're in the comfort of your house and a thunderstorm comes by, hey, it's raining outside. We don't, we don't think about trees and we don't think about, am I going to stay dry? And most storms, we don't see a need to pray. We don't think about saying, hey, God, would you protect me right now? We, hey, I'm in the security of my house. And we tend to view life that way. The more security we build around ourselves, the less we are aware of our utter need for God. And Nebuchadnezzar here is so comfortable that he sees no need to acknowledge Daniel's God. Well, just like an old rooster who's crowing, thinking that he's in control of his world, God picks up a two-before and gets Nebuchadnezzar's attention. And we see that in verses 13 through 18 and verses 23 through 27. Because the dream continues. And in verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar relays to Daniel that all of a sudden there's this angelic being. He calls it an angelic watcher, a holy one, comes down from heaven and he yells, Cut the tree down! And cut off the branches! And take the foliage and scatter the fruit everywhere. But leave a stump with iron and bronze around it. Notice in verse 15. Yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground. But with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field. And let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. You see the stump is a man. We see that clearly in verse 15. This angelic being says, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. And let him share with the beasts and the grass of the earth. In fact, this man is going to go insane. Verse 16 says, let his mind be changed from that of a man. And let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. He's going to start thinking like a cow. And it says there's going to be seven periods of time. It could be seven days, seven weeks, seven months, seven years. Quite a few Bible teachers think seven years passed because of verse 33. It says his fingernails grew so much they were like talons of a bird. And his hair had grown to such lengths. Most likely, Nebuchadnezzar was out there eating with the cows for seven years. Can you imagine the morning after this happened to Nebuchadnezzar turning on Good Morning America? And have the, have the camera span over and here's our leader. He's out eating grass like a cow. And every morning they'd lead with that for a while until they got bored with it and forgot about him. Here's Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler of his empire. Insane, out eating grass like a cow. In fact, 
Daniel is going to tell Nebuchadnezzar exactly what that portion of the dream means, starting in verse 23. And he says, this is the interpretation, O king, verse 24. You, that you be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place be with the beasts of the field, and you be given grass to eat like cattle, and be drenched with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time will pass over you, until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind, and bestows it on whomever he wishes. And in that it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree. Your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. You see, God will humble the proud, but he'll restore the repentant. And so Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, King, just let me give you some advice. Verse 27 Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. Nebuchadnezzar, repent. Turn from your self-sufficiency. Turn from your self-dependence and all this focus on you. Don't just voice Words about who God is actually turn the direction of your life. Start caring for the, the people who are being mistreated. Stop being just so self-sufficient and self-focused. You know, we see that same message in the book of James. And in James chapter 4, starting to read in verse 4... James used really tough words to get our attention. And talks about the fact if the things of this world become more important to us than God, then he actually calls us adulterers. And says in James 4, for you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he's made to dwell in us, but gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God's opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Well, how do I humble myself? One thing is to call sin, sin in our lives. And confessing our sin is saying the same thing about that God says about it. And what we saw in Daniel 4, what Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar, don't only recognize that you're sinning, but change the direction of your life and stop sinning. Start doing what God has for you instead of what you have for you. And if we continue in our sin, when we know it's sin, we are not humble before the Lord. A few weeks ago, I was with my little two and a half year old granddaughter. And we're sitting out kind of in a little garden area on chairs. And um, my little two and a half year old granddaughter goes 
and picks some lavender. And she picked some and her mom said, now that's enough. No more lavender. And she looked at her mom, knowing clearly what her mom had said, and went over and just picked some more lavender. So mom put her in timeout. Oh, she hates timeout. She did not like that at all. And we could hear her displeasure. Well, timeout was done, and she was welcomed back into this little courtyard flower garden area. And we were all sitting around in chairs. And I could see the look in her eye. She walked right back over to the lavender. She looked straight at her mom. She reached out and plucked some more lavender. And I thought, oh, kid, you're in trouble now. (laughs) You see, to know what's wrong and to continue to do it is not humbling yourself myself before the one who is has ultimate authority and that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar does he ignores Daniel's wise counsel to turn from the sin of self-reliance and pride so we come to verse The last section, uh, verses 28 through 37. And we see here that truly repentant people submit to God's rule in their lives. And here we find Nebuchadnezzar, verse 28, 12 months later. He's walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And he's in this reflective mode. And this is what he says. Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? And while it says while the words are still in his mouth, while verse 31, while the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, To you it's declared sovereignty has been removed from you. You'll be driven away from mankind. Your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You'll be given grass to eat like cattle. And seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. And immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. And he goes out and he starts eating grass. I don't know if you all remember in the 19, about 1980s, there was this craze called barley green. And people took these little packets and they put it in water and stirred it up. And it's like drinking alfalfa. This probably was the original barley green right here. And Nebuchadnezzar is out there and he's just eating grass like a cow. And it says he out there so long that his fingernails look like talons of a bird. Until, verse 34, at the end of the period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. 
All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does, but he does according to his will in the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? And at that time, he starts thinking straight again. In fact, those in his kingdom start coming to him for counsel and advice again. And it says he's reestablished in sovereignty. My favorite sentence in this entire section is the very last one. It says, for all his works are true and his ways are just. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. If you ever use the phrase, the voice of experience, here it is. Because Nebuchadnezzar is talking with a voice of experience. Because he's the one who is walking in pride. And God picked up a two before and got his attention. You know, those of us who live in Iowa pride ourselves on some very simple things. You know, people outside of Iowa don't enjoy the subtleties of a pork tenderloin. I remember uh, early on in my time at Faith Bible Church, we had a new student ministries pastor from Texas. And I took him out for a tenderloin. He says, this isn't. Tender. And he, he kept, it's the only way you eat it is if you put a bunch of ketchup on it. So that's the joy, man. He never could get a hold of it. And we pride ourselves in our sweet corn and our state fair and morels. Oh, Iowans love our morels. And I was talking to the guy who owned the 80 just south of my house. And one day he was just exasperated. He said, I can't keep people out of my timber. They keep coming in into my timber uh, seeking morels. And he'd stop and people would say something like, well, I've gotten morels here since I was five years old. You see, they weren't recognizing that there was a change of ownership of that property. And people think, hey, I used to get them there when I was five. I can still get them there when I'm 35. And one of the things that we forget is that at the moment we become a Christian, as the Bible defines it, there is a change of ownership over our lives. There's a verse in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 6, verse 20, that says this. You have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. And what Paul's talking about is this. In fact, we're going to have baptism in just a few minutes. And those who are going to be baptized, in fact, if you're being baptized this morning, you can be dismissed now and go get ready. Those who are going to be baptized are doing so as a public testimony that they have put their trust In the person of Jesus Christ. You see the Bible tells us. That each and every person. Is a sinner. But we've all thought things. And done things that are contrary to God's character. And what God says is right and wrong in the Bible. And and God is completely holy. And he is a righteous judge. He is the standard of what is right. And as our creator. He cannot just say I'll forget about sin. It would violate his very character. Sin demands punishment. 
But God's also a God of love. He's not just a God of holiness. And in his love, he sent the second person of the Trinity, the Son, to earth. Who took on humanity via the virgin birth. Lived a sinless life. And then, as a sinless God-man. Took all of God's righteous wrath towards sin upon himself by dying on the cross. And then was resurrected from the dead, proving that he is God. And the Bible tells us that payment for sin is offered as a free gift. And that gift is received through faith. Through finally taking the dependence of my life from myself, thinking I can be a good enough person to have merit with God, and putting my dependence on the person of Jesus Christ, putting my trust in him, my faith in him. And at that moment, When I put my trust in the person of Jesus Christ, believing that he is God who died for me and rose from the dead, at that moment, I become a purchased person because I have been bought out of bondage to sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't belong to myself anymore. I belong to him. And because of that, because there's been a change of possession, I am obligated To yield my life to God's rule. Whatever his will is for me. Whatever his will is for you. That's where our allegiance must be. You know, Nebuchadnezzar became very self-oriented, self-focused, self-dependent. And God had to get his attention and remind him, I and I alone, from God's perspective, are the, is the one that, to whom you are accountable. And it's important for us, as life gets marked with ease, to have antennae go up. And remember, hey, it's when life's going good. That I become least dependent on God. It's when life becomes comfortable. That I forget that all of my allegiance has to go to him. And when we forget that. And start becoming self-confident. He'll usually in graciousness give us some time. But eventually he will use the two before. And get our attention once again. That he's God. And not us.